Welcome to the Reframed Podcast. I'm Kelly O'Mara. Thank you for joining us. Today we begin a discussion with pastors Jason Blakey, Victoria Rowe, and Parker Davis about Hub Coffee. And we hear from Pastor Jason Blakey about this year's Carol McKenna Thanksgiving event. But first we speak with a local family who is on a very special adoption journey. Let's get started. I am joined by Peter and Bridget Morningstar, and I wanted to talk to both of you in honor of Adoption Month because that has been a big part of your journey. When did you first begin your adoption journey, and why did you start? Well, we had a single child one time and just were not able to achieve another pregnancy and never really discovered exactly why, but figured, well, you know, that's all right. There are other ways to build a family, and we were living in West Virginia at the time, adopting our now 19-year-old, and that was great. We had a great experience with that. It was through a pregnancy care center, similar to the one here in Presque Isle. You know, now he's an adult out on his own, and it's been a wonderful experience raising him for the past 19 years. So you adopted two children years ago and now have adopted again, correct? Yeah, our third child was adopted in 2007. We were a family of the two of us and our three kids for many years, and then I got involved with the foster system. So that is sort of what led to expanding our family again. It's been sort of growing slowly over the past three years. You said you got involved with the foster care system. Was it like a call? You guys didn't just adopt an additional child. You adopted several children. So there was a point in time when we felt like really settled. I guess being foster parents was something we thought about doing, but then we always found the excuse to not do it because we were either moving or just didn't feel completely settled. But once we did feel settled and our three oldest were old enough that we thought, you know what, we have time to devote to opening our home to foster kids. And I had the idea of becoming a foster parent and we got everybody's support in our family to do that. And then that began our journey of getting certified, making our home ready to be foster parents. And that journey sort of took us to adoption. (laughs) We didn't anticipate that happening. We just thought maybe we'd just be able to help kids along, you know, while supporting birth families. I mean, our faith really informs our way of living, I guess, and our thinking about what people need and everybody needs a family. So as foster parents, we're kind of temporary families, but we can be foster parents with the hope that there might be reconciliation. And that was the hope that I carried as a foster parent and Peter too. But after a period of time, that hope didn't pan out, but it didn't mean that we couldn't hope. And then the kids needed a family. So either they need their birth family or they need another family. And we felt strongly that the kids should be adopted, but we didn't know who would be adopted. Some of the kids were in different homes. So we just put it out there that if anyone wanted to be adopted and wanted to be with their siblings, that they could come here. And over time, the kids decided that they would. And so in the end, we ended up having seven. And the amazing thing was that as each child joined our family, we could see that each kid became more whole, more of themselves. And in a way, by having them all together, they kind of got to the start line (laughs) of, you know, growing and developing. And it was really a beautiful thing. When everybody was together, I knew without a doubt that it was really exactly what we were meant to do. The kids are amazing. We're blessed a lot by 
all of the kids. And you can't really anticipate what it's going to be like, but I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful that God took us on this journey. Yeah. And a lot of times in the foster care system, children are not able to stay with their birth siblings because it's very difficult to find homes that can take multiple children. So that really is kind of a unique journey that you two have been on. We had a little bit of a ability, I guess, to take a larger than expected number of kids because we happened to live in a larger than expected house. I mean, like there was sort of a practical thing that kind of allowed a certain amount of that, which if we'd been living in a smaller place, we would have said, ah, you know, we couldn't do that. But even then, it had to happen over time for us in our mindset. If someone had said to us when the first kid moved in that there'd be seven moving in, we would have said, ah, I mean, there's no possible way we could do that. That'd be inconceivable. We had no imagination to even dream something like that but the way the journey went was one turned into three and you say well you know two more is a lot but we probably could pull that off and then sort of get used to that and then there's another one or two like well you know what's another one or two and over time you do a little slow cooking and what is completely inconceivable and beyond the possibility of imagination suddenly becomes, yeah, sure, we can do that. How hard could it be? <laughs> <laughs> and how hard has it been? I mean, how is the adjustment going? It hasn't been that bad, really. It's a little different, I think, from some foster situations. All the kids are real well-adjusted, sweet kids. You know, not to criticize anyone who's not well-adjusted and sweet, but these guys happen to be, and, you know, God bless them for it. But that definitely made the adjustment good is that we weren't having to sort of run up against spending all our time with just one kid to the neglect of all the others. I don't think anyone feels left out or that one or two kids get all the attention. So it's actually worked out pretty well in that way. So what has been the best part of this journey for the two of you? Compared to adopting other ways, adopting through the foster system, we didn't plan it, but the result of it was I feel really connected with our community. Like we couldn't do any of this all by ourselves. Even as we were fostering, there were other foster parents that came alongside, or, you know, we came alongside other foster families and we supported one another and helped each other with practical day-to-day things. And it just gave me an opportunity to be really thankful for all of the people in our community who help. I just love our bus driver. Every day I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Buster, I just love you. Because I know that I can't do it all by myself. When you sort of push yourself to the limit a bit, you are forced to say, I need help. And it's a humbling experience. And it's actually a good thing. And when you ask for help, you give an opportunity for a relationship to build. And I would say that with the kids' teachers or anybody we come in contact with, like kids' coaches or whatever. People have been super, super supportive. Even we have two people who are Christians who help look after our kids in our home. And I'm so thankful for them. Every time they come, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm in heaven. The amount of support that we've had this round has been really comforting and also it feels like we have a legitimate family, a family of people who are all working to the best interests of the kids. One of the things I've liked about it is there's a lot of pressure in parenting in the 21st century and we kind of felt that, I know I kind of felt it and especially when we were raising our oldest three kids, Bridget's a stay-at-home parent, shoot I'm a pediatrician, I'm supposed to know everything, 
there's this expectation of perfection that you really should be killing it. And, you know, we weren't. Obviously, well, you're not well, so why aren't you? What are you doing wrong? When you take on 10 kids, well, then you can completely embrace imperfection because you know you're going to be lousy most of the time on most of the days and that that then becomes the expectation. So you get this sort of wonderful lowering of expectation of perfection and that is liberating. Well, it happened yesterday. We misplaced a child for about 15 minutes. Well, you know, I mean, shoot, we know exactly where nine of them are. And that was great. Like, I'm feeling pretty good about 90% right now. And uh, anyway, he's bound to turn up somewhere. And sure enough, you know. He was found in the third place you looked, I think, right? Yeah. Yes. I was picking him up for school, but yes, he had an idea about where he was going instead. <laughs> so I had to go find him. But, <laughs> but that feels kind of lower key. You don't feel like the worst parent in the world when you, you know, temporarily misplace a child. There's and, more grace. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of grace out there. No one, ourselves first and foremost, and our family and friends and the community. I don't think anyone really expects us to be able to know totally what we're doing when we're juggling 10 balls in the air. So it's all good. We're having a good time with it. I think it's been fun. It caused us to relax. How could you do it any other way? Right. Do you think that in the future, when these kiddos grow up, do you think foster or adoption will still be in the future for the two of you? Or do you think this is probably it? Well, that's an almost absurd speculation since if you had asked us in 2009, if foster adoption was in our future, we would have laughed. So don't be ridiculous. We're completely overwhelmed by what we're doing right now. So we never say never. We're not getting any younger though. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> For anybody who is thinking about this journey, what would you say to them? People who are maybe on the edge of deciding whether they'd like to be you know, involved in adoption or the foster care system. Now that you have experience. Definitely have a clear message, which is that Having been on the non-participating side of this thing, it's very easy to think you can't do it. There's a thousand reasons why it would be ridiculous to consider doing it. It is overwhelming and I don't know who's doing it. They must be sort of saints or crazy or both. But the reality is that once you actually step in and do it, it is entirely doable. It is a big problem that there aren't enough homes for people in our state and that if anyone is looking for an opportunity to do good for other people that doesn't necessarily involve you having to leave your own home, then this is an opportunity for you to embrace. It's been a wonderful thing and actually oddly doable. It is oddly doable. And so don't just reject the idea out of hand. Totally doable. Bridget, anything you would say? Yeah, to not let fear stop you from doing something, especially if it's on your heart. Lots of people can be foster parents, but not everybody can be foster parents. Not everybody's in the same life situation. And that was true for us at one point. But that if you have an inkling or, you know, some kind of thought in your mind, like passing through your mind that maybe you'd like to be a foster parent to reach out to other foster parents. They're really super helpful. And there's a lot of people who are doing it. There's a lot of people in our church who are doing it. Just start asking questions and pray about it. And God will give you the power <laughs> that we can't sustain on our own. And I think that our experience proves that, that we have the fuel for the fire. You've said you've had a lot of support from the community. How can people who know others, maybe like you said, it's not right for them right now, but how can they invest 
into the lives of people who have adopted or who are going through this process? How can they best support? It's sort of a circumstance by circumstance thing. We've had a lot of very good experiences with our kids have friends and the kids' friends and their families have embraced our kids. And if someone needs a pickup or a drop off, we get way more help picking up and dropping off for our kids than we are passing back the other direction. It is asymmetrical and it's been very helpful to us. It's allowed our kids to do things that they otherwise might not be able to do. And we're very grateful for it to the extent that people out there who, you know, maybe don't have the circumstance where they can take in kids can sort of provide some of that help along the way. That's been a real benefit to us. The foster homes, which our kids were in prior to coming to us, have on an ongoing basis been wonderful with our kids and kept pouring things into them and being there for them, not just carting them around, but continuing to open their home to them and loving them and doing things for them. So we, like I was saying earlier, have no illusions about our ability to be able to do it all ourselves. And there's nothing like a big group to make that concrete. And so we have happily embraced all of the things that our friends and neighbors and that the kids' friends and the kids' neighbors have given to them in the way of time and energy. You know, a lot of people think of the foster care system and the adoptive system as really, really broken and that there's so many families out there that just aren't healthy and that the foster care families are not always healthy. But it's really nice to hear that positive side where there are a lot of really wonderful foster parents out there and hearing they helped them for a while and they still continue to help them even after they've left their home. It's really beautiful to see that positive look at the foster care system and how it can work. There isn't a day that goes by where in my office, I don't see other foster parents. Foster parents are fantastic. They're doing a great job. It isn't like they're being paid like CEOs to be foster parents. They're <laughs> no one there for the money, okay? People are doing awesome jobs taking in kids and sometimes under very challenging circumstances. And I see that every day and I'm impressed by it every day. I think that there's a lot of great things going on in our area in that way. And on the flip side, the fact that a child is in foster care means there's brokenness and there's trauma. But like you said, there's so many kids out there who they just need that loving family and people to have patience and love and offer them that future for them to thrive. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll experience the stereotypical, sometimes it could be a very negative look at foster children. But like you said, they're just children who have some brokenness in their past and need that love, right? They need someone to make a commitment to them. Yeah. So if it can't be their parents, after you tried to help that family dynamic, then it needs to be somebody. That's what God tells us that we're all created to be in families. So our kids got to be in our family, but our family isn't just us. Our family is the church and we need aunts and uncles and cousins and people playing those roles in our kids' lives. And we welcome that. And we have that. We have experienced that. And we're super thankful. So you guys recently received an award. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? Our Senator Susan Collins is on a committee on adoption in the United States Senate. And each year, all the senators on that committee nominate someone from their state to get a recognition for doing work in the area of adoption. And sometimes it's people who are employed in social services, sometimes it's families. And Senator Collins nominated us this year. It was very nice of her and thoughtful of her to think of us in that way. And we're very grateful. I'll say as someone who knows a lot of adoptive families that we're not especially deserving over anybody else, but we certainly were touched by her thinking of us in that way and 
it's kind of a nice thing for our family and kind of fun and sort of interesting. We got to have a chat with her, which we'd never met her before, and that was sort of neat. And it was kind of like a nice little break from the routine to sit and chat with the senator. <laughs> well, definitely a big congratulations on that. I think if there's something that I would want to highlight, it would be that getting involved in this is totally doable for just about anyone. It can kind of look from the outside very forbidding. The whole system looks forbidding. And it does require a little bit of stick to to get through the starting gates. There's a lot of little bureaucratic exercises you have to go through. And they come in and they worry about your handrails and the size of your windows. And there's all kinds of little things, little hurdles. But they're totally hurdleable. As long as you're not in a rush to get things done by Tuesday, this is a process that can be done by most people. And so don't be too intimidated by the, the sort of forbidding walls of the system. There are plenty of gates and plenty of stairs. And people can do this. And God willing, people will. There's the need. I'm joined by Pastor Jason Flakey, and we are going to talk about the Carol McKenna Thanksgiving dinner event that is being held at the church. So can you tell me a little bit about what it is? I love this event. This is one of the times of the year that we actually go out into the community and get in people's homes because we're bringing them Thanksgiving dinner. And so this whole event, it's about supplying dinner for people who usually can't make it themselves. Often we get calls, there's someone in a nursing home, they can't make a dinner. And so a loved one will actually order them a dinner and have it sent to them. Sometimes they'll make it there to be able to eat it with them. But often it's just one of these times that we want to make sure that no one goes without some sort of Thanksgiving dinner. And it's really neat because we have a whole team of people that show up. We cook the turkey sometimes. Sometimes the Graves does it for us. and They're a blessing to us to do it that way. We get a bunch of people donating food and pies. You get homemade pies and desserts part of this dinner. They go all out. And so as we make this, we then have a whole nother team of people that sign up to help deliver them. Sometimes they stay, they'll talk with the people, they'll pray with them a little bit if that's what they want. And so we're able to actually not just give them a gift of food, but also some fellowship on Thanksgiving so that they're not alone and celebrating by themselves. That's really what this meal is about, is be able to share Jesus Christ in a unique way by getting in the homes of people while partaking dinner together. Carol McKenna is named after the gentleman, Carol McKenna, who actually started this dinner. And he actually started in his basement. It was really neat. I guess they had conveyor belts set up. And so the whole thing was set up as almost an automation at one point. And it was just him and a group of people down in the basement trying to feed people that couldn't have Thanksgiving dinner. And after a little while, our church got wind of it. And so we jumped in and started helping. I started to feed more and more people. And now we're up to 400 plus people a year that we feed Thanksgiving to. But it all started with Carol McKenna in his basement. And when he passed away, he actually left the church some funds to be able to even continue to do this beyond just his lifetime. So it's been a big blessing for us and for the community. Who is it for? And if I want one of these meals, how do I sign up for it? The easiest way to sign up for the meal is to call the church at 764-5187 and talk to Robin. She has a whole book that she'll be glad to take your information. You can call in for someone else as well. So if you don't want it, but you want to make sure someone else gets blessed by it, call in for someone else as well. And we'll uh, make sure to arrange that. You do need their address and their phone number because we'll be reaching out at that point. But it's for really anybody that's not going to be able to get a meal on Thanksgiving. And so if you fit into that category and you're not going to be able to get one or you know someone who's not, 
call in. We have people call in from out of state even to help make sure their loved ones get Thanksgiving meals. Has anything changed in the way you're doing it because of COVID? Is there anything people need to know about that? There are certain places we can't get into. We can't deliver meals to due to COVID. Some of the nursing homes are a little bit more strict on the rules and regulations. And we've been trying to get creative with how we can even help them out because obviously they still want them. The other side is on our side, the preparation. We've limited how many people are in contact with the food. And those who are in contact with the food, at least last year, we made sure they gloved and they masked up. And I believe those rules will be intact again for this year, just to keep safety for everyone else during the food preparation process. And I know in the past, they've done a luncheon after the meals are delivered at the church. Is that something that's still done? So yes, we are having people come in to eat. They can start coming in around 1130. And so if you prefer to actually eat with other people and you want to come into the church to eat, we'll be ready for you by 1130. Come on in. There's usually about a hundred people or more that come in and actually get dinner here at the church on Thanksgiving, but otherwise we're willing to bring it to you as well. What do you need from people? How can they volunteer for this? We need people to be willing to bring pies, call the church. There's signups here at the church as well. I believe there's even a sign up online. If you are interested in helping deliver, we need people to sign up for that as well. And that really often is just taking a couple meals to a house and then people go back to their own Thanksgiving dinner. If you're interested in helping on Thanksgiving morning for more food preparation and things like that, you can sign up for that as well. We have a certain number of people that we put for kitchen help. So if you're interested, contact the church sooner than later so we can get you in that process as well. Also, be looking for our baked potatoes. We send those home to people to bake, then you bring them back fully cooked Thanksgiving morning so we can serve them. So look out for the baked potatoes and that announcement as it gets closer to Thanksgiving. We'll start handing those out for people to cook and bring back. Why is it so important to do something like this? There are a few times a year that our church is actively aggressive in sharing the love of Christ. This is one of them. And so this to me is probably the event that we do the best in the community and actually makes a big difference. And so I would say it's important to do this because we're sharing the love of Christ. We're sharing hope with people. And really this time of year is when people need it. This is the time of year when people start to feel depressed because they're away from family. And it starts at Thanksgiving, it continues to Christmas. So these are touches that we're able to make in people's lives to make the holidays better for those who often feel down around the holidays. So join in, let's share Christ with people in our community and we need your help. I am joined by pastors Jason Blakey, Parker Davis, and Victoria Rowe, and we're going to talk about Hub Coffee. First of all, how did Hub Coffee begin? There have been many attempts at starting a coffee shop through Framer Church. This is the most recent one, but it goes back, I've traced it back 15 years about a group of men that met in governors and dreamt of something like this. And then even as much as six years ago, five years ago, there was people trying to get a coffee shop in our lobby. And this iteration came about, I believe it was at the table, Parker and Victoria are here, the three of us, I think maybe a couple other people were there. And we just started dreaming about how would we minister to the community, not inside the walls of our church. And we started thinking about college students. We started thinking about creative ways. And this idea of a coffee shop came back up and we began to just dream, what if we could do this? And honestly, one of those things you kind of shelve into, this would be really cool, but probably won't happen. And yet the Lord was kind and it did. Why a coffee shop? What specifically about a coffee shop has been so interesting to people for the last, you said 15 years. Why specifically a coffee shop? Because it's nature's nectar. 
I've done a lot of traveling, even just in the United States and in Eastern Canada. And one of my favorite places to go and do work by myself or to have a meeting with friends is in a coffee shop. There's just something about them. I am an avid coffee drinker myself, as are these two gentlemen. And that's one of the first things that I do when I'm traveling anywhere too. I look up online, like what are the best coffee shops? Because that's one of the things that I want to make sure that I hit up in a new city, new town. And when I moved to Presque Isle, there wasn't that like niche kind of place to go and to gather and to meet. There are fast food coffee shops here and that'll do in a pinch, but just having that creative kind of space to be able to meet with people I think is really special. And there's something really disarming about sharing a warm beverage in a comfortable atmosphere with people. And so we kind of affectionately began calling this idea, this dream that we had, Coffee Church. We didn't have language for it. So it affectionately became Coffee Church. And it was like a pipe dream. Never, ever did I think this would ever get any traction and become a thing. So it's crazy crazy to see it happening. Well, and I think the other aspect that I love about coffee culture and especially like the whole niche coffee market is the fact that if you go to legitimate coffee shops, not Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons that have a couple tables for you to sit down in, they are set up and designed for you to come and stay. That's the beauty of coffee culture is to sit and sip and talk. It's not designed to get you your drink in 30 seconds and then shoot you at the door for the next person. And I mean, even here in town in Prescott Isle, Tim Hortons does not foster a sit down environment. It is a fast food restaurant with some tables for you to sit at if you want to. And then our Dunkin' Donuts, it's in Walmart or it's in a gas station. And so it's like, come get your coffee and go. Whereas I think the heart behind Hub Coffee is, no, 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 no. Come take your coat off and stay a while. And I think there's something about that that as an extrovert thoroughly excites me. But also when you look at just the way our community runs in Prescott Isle, we have a very strong work ethic in Aroostook County. And I think that's something that we should value because, man, people here can get stuff done. And it's great. but I think the dark twin of that is we're always working and we're always busy. And the beauty of Hub Coffee is almost like this counterproductive or atmosphere that's going to resist the dark twin of that beautiful work ethic that we have, where instead of always working, always being busy, it's like, nah, don't put a time limit on it. Come sit down and enjoy the company of good people. I think I remember when this was first discussed in church, there was somebody who came forward and gave a pretty solid donation to kind of make this a reality. Is that when you knew this was really going to tick off? Even before that, we were sitting in a meeting and talking through various things that we could do to start bringing the church inside the wall. And I remember Pastor Bud actually talking about this coffee church idea. And I know we've been joking around with it at the office, but nothing serious had ever come from it. But we were talking about multi-siting and going different places and different communities with our church. And Bud really wanted a coffee church here in town to really start that process, to really start us getting outside the walls of the church. And that's when I realized that here it is, our lead pastor who doesn't drink coffee now has a vision for something that, I mean, I've been praying about and other people had, but obviously the Holy Spirit moves in his own time, not in ours usually, right? 
But one of the key things I've been praying about is, look, God, if you want this to happen, Bud's got to be the one to own it, not us. And he has. This is not something that Jason or Victoria Parker, I know we're on this call, but this is not something that we've pushed. This is something that Bud has really dreamt about and wants to see it happen. And so with that happening, I think that was a year before someone came forward with finances. That was a huge sign. But then all of a sudden, a year later, we're sitting around talking and Bud calls me and he's like, Jason, I just got this offer for a donation to start this coffee ministry. He's like, it's going to happen. This is happening. And Bud, extremely excited (laughs) that this thing we've been dreaming about is now actually moving forward. And so with this generous donation that we got to get this off the ground, that really kickstarted this whole process. But it has been a journey for a little while. So tell me, where are you in the process now? I know there's been a lot of activity going on on Main Street and Presque Isle. Where are you at in the process? We are almost on the exterior build. So if you've been watching the outside, it's looking really nice right now. We still have some siding left to put on. We're building in a deck. We've just started the foundation of the deck today, actually, as I'm recording this. And we are getting ready to work on the interior. So the interior right now has been delayed due to various supply issues and things like that. And once we're able to get our plumbing fully in, we should be able to drywall and and get that going pretty good as well. So right now we're looking about, I mean, I really can't give a solid date, but I don't imagine it'll be before January that we can open our doors. It's a little bit of an outside the box thinking ministry wise. What's reaction been to Hub Coffee so far from both people in the church and people in the community? There hasn't been a lot of pushback, but there's been a little bit. And some of it's just people not knowing what we're doing or what we're about. And so they're speculating. That'd be the biggest pushback I've seen is the speculations. But in most cases, people are just excited that there's going to be a high-end coffee shop in town, a place where they can actually sit down. Because a lot of us know about it. I mean, we travel. All of us travel outside the county. And I mean, you can go down to Bangor and find some really nice coffee shops. You can go to Portland. You can go to Fredericton, New Brunswick. You can find a nice coffee shop. So they're all around. Some of it was a little misconception of what we meant. When people hear coffee shop, they think of the ma and pa, like a diner is what they're thinking. But that's not the same type of coffee shop that we're working towards in this picture. We are not thinking of a full food service and things like that. There'll be baked goods, but it is going to be high-end coffee that you sit down and talk with friends around. Have you guys heard much good, bad? Anytime that I have been out and Hub has come up, people are really excited about it. That's one thing I really like about this part of the state is really good at championing small business. And when people hear that there's going to be a new business, especially one that is fitting a need that is existing in the community, people really rally behind that. And we've seen tremendous support, like with the Hub Hustle, that blew me away. Our 3K that we had in the summer, the amount of people that came out to participate in that or to donate to that or just kind of come and ask questions was really, really energizing. And now I think the biggest thing is when are you guys going to be open? (laughs) They're ready for it. Yeah, I've heard a little bit of both, but in all reality, the negativity that I've heard is more of people not believing it's going to succeed because it's so new and it's super different to what our town has had or seen before, really. And I mean, even like the startups and attempts of coffee shops, they weren't really coffee shops and they eventually went out of business. And so that's where a lot of that perspective is coming from. But really, you know, I think there are three or four offhanded negative comments pale in comparison to the amount of support that I've seen and heard and been able to have with others for this avenue. It's most interesting when you 
ask Christians, especially followers of Jesus who attend a different church, not framework. And they're like, what? Your church is starting a coffee shop? How and why? I had a friend from New Brunswick, a childhood friend, and I was telling them about this venture and I'm, you know, super jacked about it. And they're like, wait, is the church doing that poorly financially that they need to start a business to make some money? And uh, I was like, no, no, not at all. But I can understand why you would say that. And that's it for another podcast. Next week, in honor of Thanksgiving, Pastors Victoria Rowe and Parker Davis will discuss thankfulness. Thank you for listening. We hope you will join us next time.